of Acts chapter 8. It says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in, that, in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power, or this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorcery for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Father, bless your word. Thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to be able to share your word. Help me in conveying the message and help my brothers and sisters' ears to be open to what you have for them this morning, Lord. Lead us and guide us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been following with us, we have no reason to believe or to think even, that God permitted this great persecution that had arisen or had raised up against the people um, there in Jerusalem. We have no reason to believe that the people, the church itself, was negligent of, of doing what God had called them to do. And because they were negligent, that they were somehow forced out of Jerusalem because they were being disobedient in, in one sense. No, they were scattered about, as we've learned, and we will cover again. They were scattered to other places. The fact of the matter was that Paul persecuted the believers. And he was beginning to persecute because great persecution had arisen in that place. And we, we were introduced to Paul last week. And he began to tell us that after the death of Stephen, then persecution just was, was also scattering as well. And so, so again, he, he had no problem even going into foreign cities, strange cities, if you will. As we looked at the verse in 20, uh, Acts 26, 11. We have no reason to believe that Paul wasn't, a, wasn't above going to other places and persecuting them. That would suggest that Paul heard of all the witness that was going on in other places. That Jesus was spreading like wildfire wherever these believers went. And beyond that, they were bearing fruit beyond Jerusalem. And there's no reason to... to, to 
that we, as we're reading and we're looking what's going on, there's no reason for us to even like criticize the apostles who didn't go out, who weren't scattered. And if anything, we should commend them that they ended up staying where the persecution had started for the church, that they were there in spite of all that was coming against them, that they were there with courage and devotion to duty to continue to minister to those who did stay in Jerusalem to continue to minister in the church because not all of them left, but there was a lot who were scattered about. And so because of the witness of Stephen and the death of Stephen, as I shared with you last week, it's possible that the persecution was directly aimed at the Hellenistic Jews, those who, who, were, who, who were not uh, who were, um, Greek-speaking Jews. That the persecution was, was focused on them and not so much on the native Jews of Jerusalem in that area. And I think it was easier for Paul and his helpers to, to kind of focus on them, not just because of their speech, because even their speech kind of set them apart, because they had an accent from Greek, they spoke Aramaic and Hebrew over here. But not only that, a lot of the native Jews, the people that there were very much Jewish still, even though they had come to Christ. In other words, they were still involved in the things that the Jews were involved with, with some of the festivals, going to, to the temple. Not that they were hiding anything, but they just kind of almost blended in. And so the Hellenistic Jews, the Hellen, Hellen, uh, Hellenist Jews, they, they or, or Christians, they were, they were set apart and the people could tell them apart. And so they were kind of going after them. Later on, we will see in Acts chapter 10 that Peter, the apostle Peter, was still keeping his house kosher, if you will. He still did a lot of the things that he was raised with doing. And yet he's walking with Jesus, man. He's hearing from the Lord. He's doing the things that God has called him to do. And we know that because in Acts chapter 10, when, when God begins to minister to him about stepping out of that box, he's going, no way, Lord, I still keep it kosher, man. I still keep the law as far as foods are concerned. And yet God is showing them, hey, Peter, I'm going sh to show you something that's going to blow your mind because I'm going to send you to a, a Gentile, not just a Hellenistic Jew, but a Gentile. And so we, we see that when he goes to the household of Cornelius. And so when we look at verse 4 once again, where we left off last week and what we were picking up this week, it says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. I quoted to you a quote that I found from Warren Wiersbe that said about this whole persecution, that persecution does to the church what wind does to, to seed. It scatters it and only produces a greater harvest. I explained to you also last week that the word scattered in the Greek uh, is, is disperse, dispario, which, which basically we get our word disperse from. And it means to sow thoroughly, i.e. figuratively to distribute in foreign lands, to scatter abroad, to scatter seed. So what we see, what's going on in this place, that these believers who have now come to a new realization of who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, that the old has done away with, he has brought in the new covenant, that these people were basically now God's seed. 
And they were going to be scattered about. And God used the persecution against them to, to do that, to kind of get them out, to plant them into new soil. So they weren't being negligent by any means. They were bold. They were walking. They were doing what the Word of God was telling them to do. And they were, they were under this new, new covenant that it was a newfound relationship. And they were just bold in what they were saying and doing. And so because of that, they were bearing fruit, and now that they were being scattered, that fruit would be carried out to foreign lands, and that fruit would carry more seed. And man, it was just kind of going and going and going. Some of those seeds went to Judea and to Samaria, it told us last week. Again, this was God's method, basically, of fulfilling that mandate that He had given them back in the beginning of Acts chapter 1 in verse 8, where He says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses to me, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, as we also looked at last week in chapter 11 of Acts, these guys were going into dis distant lands or distant fields with the seed. Those who were scattered would not and could not keep themselves quiet. They would not stay on the down low, if you will. They would not and could not keep it to themselves. There's something about the Word of God when, it, when you begin to learn it and it begins to be a part of who you are that you just can't keep it in. It's not good. When you start reading, and I don't know how you read or I don't know how you study the Word of God, but once it becomes part of who you are, it's really, really hard <laughs> to keep it quiet. And some of you guys are going, oh no, Pastor, I keep it quiet all the time. <laughs> and it's like, man, it's not good to keep the Word in, man. It should be burning within you. It should be burning to be able to share it with others. You have the good news, man. You have salvation. You've received salvation because of the Word of God. And I'm not saying, man, that you have to become a pastor and an evangelist, but, but man, oh man, it's hard to just keep that in when you got the good news to be able to share it with other people and say, here, man, especially when they're coming to you and they're going, man, my life, this and that. It's like, been there, done that, but guess what Jesus has done in my life? Not Calvary Chapel, not some pastor, but what Jesus has done in your life personally, to be able to share that. It should just come out almost naturally. And that's what's kind of happening here, that they cannot keep it quiet. It says that they went everywhere preaching the word. Now the phrase preaching the word that we have in this verse in particular means evangelizing or announcing the good news. And, and, and it's a message that, that, that is associated with mercy and love. It's announcing the Word of God. That's what this preaching the Word meant here in verse 4. And it's not the typical word for preaching that we see and we will see in the following verse in verse 5. You see, in the next verse, it has a different Greek word associated to it but this one in particular the word preaching or preach simply means announcing the good news 
And, and in a sense, when we share with someone else, we are evangelizing in that way. Oh, but pastor, I'm not an evangelist. Fine. So, so you may not fill up, you know, arenas or, or stadiums, but you can evangelize your family and your neighbors and your work buddies. You can share the word. You can announce the word of God to them because it dwells inside of you. It, it, it's almost like you're announcing the way of salvation. As simple as that. The, the simple way you received it, you're just doing the same thing. But what I was looking at as I'm looking at that particular word of evangelizing, it's almost picture in your head as we've been talking about scattering and about seed, that, that somebody would just grab a handful of seed and just go wham. And that's what we do. And, and I love the fact that when, when you go back to the Gospels, when J Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, it says that they were, they were uh, uh, scattering their, their net because they were evangelists. They were always out there, and, and John, James and John were mending their nets. They were doing more intricate stuff. And so we see different people. They scatter a net, and other people are good at mending nets. And, and in this aspect, in verse 4, when they were preaching the word, they were just kind of throwing it out there. See what would happen. They weren't, they weren't just like, you know, here's a seed, here's a seed. They were just like, let's just see what happens. And that's what we see a lot in the book of Acts. That they just throw themselves out there and put themselves out there and see what happens. And oftentimes, people react to that. Now, there, there's no evidence nor is there a probability that any of these people that we're talking about that were scattered, going everywhere, preaching the word, that they were ordained. That they were somehow apostles. They were kind of set apart to, to be those guys. They were just your run-of-the-mill, regular, Joe Blow um, Christian. That, that's who they were. They were just people that are going, hey, let's go back to our lands because it's getting hot and heavy here. Let's just go back. And they were just regular people that had the word of God and something that changed in them. And so they're going about just as common Christians going out and just scattering. Scattering the great news because of the great persecution that had arisen because they were carrying the seed, which is the word of God. And simply put, they were just communicating with the people around them as to what God had done in their lives. In other words, they were having conversation of this glad tidings that the Messiah has come. They had come to know that. They had come to understand that. In other words, wherever they met people, perhaps in the synagogue, because they still went to synagogue. And in the synagogue, every Jew that walked in there had the right to speak. And so I, I believe a lot of these guys were just Sharing what they've, known, what they've learned, as simple as they knew how. I'm sure they were sharing with their fellow man when they were out in the marketplace, when they were out in the town square, when they were out in the soccer fields. They were probably just sharing the word at recreation. Wherever they found themselves, there was something within them that they had that they wanted to share with that person and that person and that person as the conversation got going. And that's normally the way it happens, guys. It's not like, okay, I'm going to get my box, I'm going to get my soapbox, and I'm going to get, and if God calls you to do that, go on with your bad self. Do it. But more than likely, 
more often than not, somebody will receive from you because they've gotten to know you or because they're just talking like this. The interesting thing is, you've already been where they're at, but they have not experienced what you've got. And oftentimes, they just want to know what makes you different, what makes you tick. Especially if you worked with them for a long time or your family members are going, okay, I knew you as a drunk, <laughs> or I knew you as an idiot, or I knew you as whatever. <coughs> What's different, Jack? What's different in your life? Why are you now at peace? Why is there now joy in your life? You see, these people that went out were full of joy because they heard the good news of salvation and they received it by faith. And they could not hold it in. And so out of the mouth or out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And people were understanding that. And they made the truth known to all who would hear them. And so in verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. When the disciples were being scattered from Jerusalem, they couldn't hold it in. Wherever they were going, they wouldn't hold it in. They would not keep silent. And one of those who were scattered was a, a, a man by the name of Philip. Philip, if you remember back in chapter 6, was one of the seven that was chosen along with Stephen and five others that had harder names. <laughs> but he himself was also a Hellenist, a Greek-speaking Jew that went to minister to the Hellenists who, who were being uh, kind of falling through the cracks. This young man, and I call him young because I, all of them are young to me now, but the fact of the matter is it tells us in Acts chapter 6 that these guys who they chosen were of good reputation. Philip was of a good reputation and he stood out. People took notice of him, but he was also full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And he was called to serve tables, to come alongside and help in the dis distribution of the things that were going on. It tells us here that he went down to the city or a city in Samaria. You see, Samaria was not only a city, but it was also a region. And it was about 42 miles north of where Jerusalem is. Where, where, where the region of, 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 Galea, of Judea was, which would be the northern tribes, if you remember in the Old Testament. The, 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 no, the, the southern tribes. The northern tribes were, were just on that side of Jerusalem, a few miles ahead. But Samaria, Samaria became an important part to the northern tribes of, of Israel. That whole area was called Israel to where the northern tribes were, were, were called Judea. Now, normally, you would, when you travel north, you say, hey, we're going up north. It's just a pet peeve of mine, but you're going, oh, we're going down north. It's like, you're not going down north. You're going up north. You're going down south. Right? You're going down to, to, to San Diego. You're not going up to San Diego. You're going down. But it's interesting because of where we live. Because you go down south, but you go down north, too. Right? I, it, it blows my mind at times because 
you go down that way, again, we have a great view from here because it goes kind of down. Well, it's the same thing with Jerusalem. Wherever you went, whichever direction you went in Jerusalem, because of their elevation, you went down everywhere. So even though they were going north, it tells us here that they went down to Samaria. Pet peeve of mine, I kind of try to overlook it because it's the Word of God here. <laughs> but the Samaritans, the Samaritans were different. They were a half-breed. And, 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 and again, here's the people who, who kind of were a mix of Jew and Gentile. And it originated back, back in the day in, in, in 723 or 732 B.C. When, when the northern kingdom was taken captive by the Assyrians, they, they kind of deported a lot of them or most of them and they imported other people. And so when, when finally they were set free because they ended up integrating with the, the southern kingdom when Babylon took them, when they come back to, to Samaria area, there's a lot of intermarrying that is going on in that region, and so they become the Samaritans. They're known as the Samaritans. And, and, and it was interesting because the Samaritans, they had their own temple, they had their own, their own priesthood, and they were openly opposed to socializing with the Jews. But understand, it was a two-way street because the Jews didn't like the Samaritans either. If you remember in, in John chapter 4, when Jesus and his disciples are headed up north, they could have gone over by the west or by the Jordan River, but instead there was a shorter way, the Samaria way, you know, the way through Samaria, and many people avoided that at all costs, but Jesus didn't. And he, he goes up in that area, and it tells us in, in John chapter 4, verse 9, as he's now dialoguing with this woman at the well, it says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, said to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaria or the Samaritans. And so it's interesting that Jesus is not only talking to a woman, but she's a Samaritan as well. And he spends a lot of time with her, ministering to her. And she, she ends up going and telling all the people, all the men, because she was kind of of that repute, going and talking to the men. I'm sure the men are going, yikes. He told me everything about myself. They're going, oh. But it's interesting that we can learn from verse 4 or chapter 4 of John that the gospel, the kingdom of God, had already reached Samaria. And a lot of people, it says there, uh, of the city, they believed in Jesus because he stayed with them for two days. They wanted him to stay longer, but he stayed with them for two days. And you know he was ministering to them. It says many more believed because of his words. But what happens afterwards in the ministry of Jesus, there was a time that he is sending out his disciples two by two. And he says, hey, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to Samaria. Don't, don't reach them. Which is interesting because they're going, well, we can go. It's like, no, I don't, I don't want you preaching to them. It's interesting because later on there was another incident that happened and James and John are telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, if you want, man, we can call fire down from heaven and just smoke Samaria. That's not the direct translation, but <laughs> kind of destroy them basically, right? Because again, they just didn't like the Samaritan people. But now it's time. It's time to be able to go to Samaria. 
and Philip, for some reason, and maybe he was from around there, that he came and he kind of lived in Jerusalem for a while, became, came to know Jesus, came, became one of those people who, who stood out and people were, were calling upon him. And now when it's time to scatter, he goes back. But he doesn't go back to, 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 to make a name for himself. He goes and he preaches Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, preaching Jesus. And it says that the multitudes came and heeded the things which he spoke. And so he preached to them, or he preached Christ to them. Now the word preached here is different from the preach that we the preaching that we just saw in the last one. And and the word preach here means to announce as a herald. In other words, he went around heralding the good news, speaking forth the good news. And and in this sense when you look at this word in preaching and you look in the Greek, it it, it almost leans more to the teaching than evangelizing. And there's a difference. There's a difference. In evangelizing, you're just throwing a seed everywhere, casting the net wherever, and just seeing how many you can bring in, whereas teaching is more like the mending of the nets and ministering, you know, one-on-one, doing closer ministry. And so the, the disciples, they went everywhere preaching the word. Philip went and he preached the word to the multitudes. Basically now teaching them a little bit more. Now, I wonder if at any time that Philip is now out there preaching the word, that he thought, that he thought about the fact that this is what got Stephen killed. <laughs> Stephen was preaching. He was doing miracles. At what point did he go, maybe I should just lay low because this might get me killed. But we never see that. He, he never thought, I, I think I just want to be off the radar because I, I don't want any conflict coming my way. And I think oftentimes as Christians, we want to lay low. We don't want people to really start thinking of us any differently than we, we used to be before. But not Philip. Philip was going to be as bold as he possibly could. Now understand, the religious leaders that were down in Jerusalem would probably never go to Samaria. But it wouldn't be above Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, to go into foreign lands to persecute. And you know that if the uh, uh, the apostles heard of what was going on in Jerusalem or in Samaria, and we see that in chapter 4 or verse 14 that they caught wind of what's going on, they're going to send an envoy up there to, to minister to them. You, you, you know then that the religious leaders were catching wind that the gospel is being spread. And so these guys are persecuting there in Jerusalem, and now they're getting stuff coming in going, man, they're preaching the word over there, preaching the word. And, and, and Saul is busy. Saul is busy going about his business to persecute the church, to drag him into prison, to do whatever he can to put a stop to it. But every time he went one way, man, there was 20 more on the other side. And it just kept on going and going and going. The fact that the persecution of the church would continue more than likely, if anything, motivated Philip to continue to do the work, thinking, 
I don't know how much time I have to preach the word, but I'm going to preach it, and I will die just like my brother Stephen if I have to. And so nothing was stopping this guy or the disciples that were with them. People were just scattered, and people were, were, were wasting no time in sharing the word of God that they had with people that were even half-breeds. They could care less, man. They have, they have the good news, and they're sharing it with whoever they possibly could. And so it tells us in verse 6 that the multitude, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So now the multitudes are coming, and they're hearing a message. But they're not only hearing the message, they're seeing evidence of what's going on with these people. They're seeing things happening. God is working in and among the people. And people are being healed and people are being delivered. Now Luke, the writer of, of Acts, uses the word miracle here. There was miracles that were going on. This is what the people were seeing and experiencing. In other words, there was some physical evidence of, 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 of what the Word was saying, what the Word of God was doing. There was some physical evidence, and verse, 10, uh, verse 7 tells us that the unclean spirits were crying out as they're hearing the name of Jesus and hearing the Word. People are, 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 that, that were being possessed are being set free. People that were paralyzed, that were lame, were being healed. Things are happening here. And so there was some physical evidence going on, but that's not to say that there wasn't some spiritual evidence going on in people's lives because something is happening. You see, the miracles that were being done only authenticated the message that was being preached, and that's the way it should always go. And this is where, again, where we pick up some of the stuff that's going on here, the people are hearing the word and they're, they're, they're seeing the evidence of what the word is preaching. And so they're, they're seeing the miracles, but they're following Jesus. And there's a twist to the story because we, we look at Simon and where he's at. And I'm not going to get into it, nor am I going to spoil it for you today. But you have to read on and catch what's going on. And so the, the, the message that is being, the miracles that are happening, again, are authenticating the preaching. And because of that, it tells us in verse 8 that there was great joy in the city. Yay! Great joy. It reminded me of an old cartoon back in the day that they'd say something and then the crowd goes, yay! Tom Slick, I think it was. Anyways. There was great joy that was happening. This chapter, this chapter started off by telling us that there was great persecution that arose. And because of the great persecution that arose, there was the, 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 the killing of Stephen, which brought about a great lamentation, suffering, hurting. But even in spite of what's going on with the persecution and the sadness even of, of somebody dying, it tells us in verse 8 that along with the great persecution and the great lamentations that there was also great joy associated with what was going on. In spite of it all, there was great joy happening. 
Now, the word great in this verse is a different Greek word from the other greats that we have just mentioned with, with the persecution and the lamentations. This great is polis in the Greek, and it means abundant, many, much, plenteous, or plentiful. The other Greek word for great is megas, like mega. And, and it would mean big, wide, very wide, exceedingly high, large, loud, mighty. So there's a difference in the word great here. There was a great joy that was going on in the midst of these big old things that are happening to the church and against even people in particular with, with the great lamentation. It, 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 was, it was huge. It was big. But there was an abundance of joy. The joy that the city is experiencing was because they heard the gospel and received it by faith. They were being delivered from physical afflictions. They were being delivered from demonic control. But most importantly, they were being forgiven of their sins. And that is what brought great joy. I could imagine they were happy for the people that were being healed. They were ecstatic for the people that were being delivered. But there was a joy that sat deep down inside when they knew themselves that the chains were broken in their own lives. And there was a, a, a joy that happened in their life. So it's, it's no wonder that there's this great joy at the preaching of the gospel because that's what we receive when we receive Christ into our hearts. There is a great, great joy. Now, I could understand that some people, man, there was a great sadness and displeasure that the gospel was coming their way because they refused to receive it. They fought against it. But for the most part, those who believe and receive the good news, it brings about a great joy. And joy is different than happiness. You see, you can have joy in spite of the persecution. You can have joy in spite of the lamentations. Joy is something that wells up within us regardless of circumstances. We might not be happy about what's going on. And, and, and oftentimes we become saddened because of circumstances or consequences, but joy supersedes that. You can have that joy in the midst of, and that's what we're looking at here. That in the midst of all the persecution and the lamentations, there's a great joy, an abundant joy that has been within the people. And that great joy was spreading to other people. And they were receiving that. They were understanding that. Now, in verse 9, and we'll finish it up here quickly, it says, There was a certain man by the name, or called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was some, someone great, to whom all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with the sorcery for a long time. So with all that is going on in the city, everything that they are hearing and seeing, 
it tells us that there was a certain man. And he wasn't just your ordinary certain man. He was certainly more than ordinary, and I'm certain of that. (laughs) Because of how he is described. You see, this man, Simon, was very well known among the people. He was kind of set apart from a lot of people, if not most people. Everyone in the city, from the least of them to the greatest of them, knew him or knew about him. And they had seen him do many, many works with his sorcery. And so you can imagine when all this is going on and a lot of people are following after Philip and the message that he has, that now this this certain man, Simon, who is well known, is now coming in and attached to them. It's almost like they're kind of getting excited because so-and-so is now coming to our church. They're kind of showing a little partiality, which the Bible says we should not ever. But they are stoked that this Simon, who is a certain man, who, who thought high, highly of himself and let everybody know, know it, that he was someone and he had this power that he is now associated with them. Verse 13 tells us that he himself, he himself also believed and was baptized. They all said of him, this is the great power of God. In other words, they were all in awe of him and what he did. And he boasted about that. And so you can imagine that the people, they're seeing Philip and the works that are happening here, but they see Simon and they're going, man, we have the two powers of God here. We have some two awesome people who are working miracles in our midst. I could imagine them saying that. Maybe not, but it's possible. But it tells us that he, he, he previously practiced sorcery. Now, it could be that this man stopped practicing sorcery after Philip came on the scene, and he starts seeing what's going on, and he knows what he's doing. But he sees him, he's going, he's either in the same boat with me or this guy's way above me, but I can't let anybody know that that's for real and what I do is fake. And so he kind of joins them, joins him. So he previously, it seems like he had stopped. I don't do that no more. <laughs> Used to do that. I don't do that no more. I'm a Christian now. So I don't practice sorcery, which is called magic arts. And the Greek word for sorcery is magul, or magayo, however. But it means to practice magic. To use sorcery. And those who practice sorcery also astonished or bewitched the people. You see, the ancient magi or magi or or magicians, they kind of came to prominence and most of them came out of Persia. And they were addicted basically to the study of philosophy, astronomy, and medicine. And so the name magi or magi or and musician came to signify those who use the knowledge or this knowledge of the arts for the purpose of imposing, enforcing, enacting, if you will, on mankind, astrology, soothsaying, witchcraft, enchantments or enchanters or fortune tellers and the like. Bringing in this kind of spiritualism. 
The, these, these magicians pretended to predict the future or future events by the positioning of the stars. And they, 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 they claimed that they could cure diseases by incantations or chants or spells. Sorcery in other places is associated with witchcraft. And witchcraft is always associated with drugs. It's, it's funny because the word witchcraft in, in the Greek is pharmakia, where we get our words drugs from. And, and all of that is used to, to play like mind games or mind control. That's why when, when people, you know, when, when they're into drugs and, man, they're just doing some crazy stuff, it's like, dude, there's some demonic stuff behind it. Because it takes, it, it alters your mind, it alters your thinking. It's like, nah, it just kind of relaxes me. It's like, you're wicked. There's some demonic power behind that, that it even is deceiving you that that's what it's doing in your life. It's like, no, pastor, it really, it really mellows me out, man. Yeah, it makes you ineffective, right? Less productive, mostly. But, but this whole sorcery, witchcraft, drugs type stuff, it takes you into this surreal place this different place that it kind of takes you away from reality. And that's what this guy was doing. Taking, he was astonishing people. He was bewitching them, it says. Taking them to a different level, if you will. It's interesting because the Word of God, throughout the Word of God, it, ta it talks about these things. And God never said in His Word that these things were not real. He just says, hey, stay away from them. When, when people tell me about what they're hallucinating with when they're on drugs or doing all this crazy stuff, it's like, I believe it. Because there is a spiritual world out there. And Satan uses all of this stuff, even from whatever can alter your mind, whatever it is, from alcohol to drugs to whatever it is. Even pornography could be in that place. It alters your thinking. It takes you into a different realm. It takes you away from reality, so to speak. And God says, hey, stay away from it. We are to be sober-minded as Christians, day in, day out. And it says this in Leviticus 19.31, Give no regard to mediums or familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And later on in Leviticus 20, uh, 20, verse 6, he says, The person and the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from my people. Dude, God's serious about that, right? It's interesting because when we go into the last days, in, in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 and 12, speaking of the lawless one, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, it says this, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. It goes on to say they believed the lie. 
and they follow after the lie. And people who, 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 who get themselves in that place in their lives, they are being deceived that this is really helping them. And God says, I am the Lord. I am your God. I am the one that will get you through this. Like, nah, pastor, I need something to calm me down. I need something to, to just get me away from reality. I know reality sucks, man. I, I truly understand that. But we have to face it. And if you're a Christian, then you have the power of the Holy Spirit backing you up and you need nothing else. Nothing else. And I know people will say, Pastor, that's so easy for you to say. Guys, for all of us, I don't care who you are, stay away from that kind of stuff that will draw you in that place. You see, Satan is the master deceiver. And if he can't take you out and destroy you like a lion, then he will deceive you like a serpent. And subtly just suck you in. We look at Simon. He himself, I believe, after Philip came on the scene, especially understood that he was deceiving the people. He realized that he himself was deceived. And we see that in the life of Simon, his focus was on his greatness. His focus was on his popularity and his following and how he might be magnified. He knew how to work the people. He kept them bewitched and astonished for his own profit, if you will. He knew how to work the people, and he had been working them for many, many years. But verse 12 says, But, but, when, when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, both men and women were baptized. There's a difference that's going on here. It's quite possible that when Philip came on the scene, and the people possibly were not that impressed with all the miracles that were going on and the healings because they had seen Simon doing some stuff as well. But they, I think they believed that something was different from this. There was something different going on here. You see, Philip didn't come in his own name. He came in the name of Jesus. He wasn't preaching about himself. He was preaching about the kingdom of God. And it was the Word of God, the good news, the gospel that made the difference in the lives of these people. They started understanding what, what Simon had been doing all these years and what, what Philip is now teaching and preaching. And they're going, there's something different around, around that guy because I could guarantee you there was not great joy before Philip got there in the gospel. Oh, they might have been happy <laughs> and subdued. But there was no joy in their lives. And, and quite possibly, as I was thinking about this, I'm thinking, I wonder if the people, they're, they're beginning to notice, man, I remember this back in John chapter 4. You know, they're probably thinking, remember when Jesus came, the Samaritan woman? She still lives down the street. Remember all the things that she said to us? Because it almost seems that, that, that several years had passed from when the time Jesus was there to the time Philip came back and started preaching that they may have started remembering some of the things that were going on. 
You see, Simon astonished and bewitched the people and claimed that he was something. But Philip, he actually touched them and delivered them and healed the people and claimed that Christ was the one that was doing it. I, I could guarantee you, man, that, that, that when, when Simon started seeing all these changed lives and the joy that is coming in, he probably felt the pinch <laughs> going, hmm. Simon seems like he had to check it out by, for himself. And he believed, it says, in verse 13, and he was also baptized. Huh. Maybe that's why Luke tells us in verse 9 that he previously practiced these things because now he had believed and was baptized. And it seems that Simon was so excited and amazed at what he saw happening that he continued with Philip. And Philip seems to be having a new best friend that's kind of following him all over the place. And I'm sure that the people were just amazed at what was going on here. After all, they have Philip preaching the word and there's joy in the place. The multitudes are coming and now Simon has joined the team with his charisma. Man, there will be a dynamic duo. All they need now is an amazing worship team. Man, the things that they can do. But we're going to stop right here. And now you have to read on and get a feel for what is actually going on. But I want you to turn to, uh, to Matthew chapter 7. I want to leave you with this as we close up. Oh, there was great joy. But there was something underlining that's going on. And I want to leave you with this. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13 to 23, it says this, Jesus, as he's finishing the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it, because narrow is the way, and difficult is the way, is the way narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but outwardly or inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit, fruits, you will know them. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your names, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I leave, with, leave you with that. It's not an uplifting uh, portion of Scripture. But when you catch all the joy that has been going on, I pray that you would go out with joy. 
understanding what I've just read to you. And as you read the rest of chapter 8, you will probably catch on where we're going to be at in our next study. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, we bless you and we thank you.